Well, today's the uh, second Sunday of Lent, and if you're new, um, we have some Lenten guides if you want to learn about what that looks like as a follower of Jesus. I think they're, um, they're out on the table, and in there, or in your bulletin, you should have a uh, Lord's Prayer. So for Lent, we are uh, praying the Lord's Prayer in Spanish during communion, which um, I kind of fumbled last week, but you all were super strong, and I know you've been doing it every day. I've actually been um, praying it every day in Spanish and like focusing on certain words, and it's really amazing um, praying in a different language. I don't, I've never done that, so I'm sure all of you have, are bilingual and you do that all the time. So um, we are uh, second week in looking at the Lord's Prayer, and for Lent, I kind of just want to focus us on prayer and live into that. A lot of times we approach God as if he were the genie in Aladdin. Like he needs to be rubbed a certain way or we have to say the right words in the right order. And if we could just say the right thing, we could get God to do something we really, really want. That's how a lot of people see prayer. That's called magic or incantation or manipulation. Uh, prayer is not a time where we come to God and try to manipulate him into doing something we want. Or sometimes we view God as an ogre, like Shrek, this angry old hack who needs to be coerced into helping us. And if he'd help and let us in, we might just make waffles in the morning, you know. And prayer's not like that either. Prayer is not trying to convince this, you know, angry guy to do something or to help us. One of my favorite writers was a, um, a Methodist missionary to India and passed away in the 70s. His name's E. Stanley Jones. And he, on prayer, said, prayer is not trying to get God to do our will. It is getting our will into line with his. Prayer is therefore attunement. When a note on a well-tuned piano is struck, the corresponding note on a well-tuned violin vibrates in unison when God strikes certain notes in his nature. We find our heartstrings vibrating in unison, provided prayer has attuned us. I think on the most basic level, that's what prayer is. Prayer is coming to God and saying, you know, align me to, into what you think, into what you want. I mean, much of prayer is what we would just call alignment. Now there's intercession. There's all kind of these facets of prayer for sure. But at the most basic level, when we pray, we aren't praying to a genie. We aren't praying to an ogre. We are coming to our Abba Father, our Heavenly Father, and we're saying, you know, get me in line with what you want. And it's really amazing. Um, so last week we looked at God's Father, and today we're going to dive a little bit deeper and kind of really land on this alignment prayer, which is that our Father is a king, not just a king, he's the king. It's your kingdom come. So uh, let's go to Matthew 6, and we'll read uh, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray with the classic Lord's Prayer. In fact, if you wanted to read all of Matthew 6, um, there's, you know, a good half of this is all about um, 
praying and when you pray and how to pray and fasting and all that stuff. But we'll start in verse uh, 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. It's kind of like the genie. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then I'd emphasize here in verse 9, he says, pray then like this. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. And this is kind of the pattern. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then he gives a little commentary on the very end of it. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of our Lord. So let's start with your kingdom come. What does it mean when we pray, God, we want your kingdom to come? I think first, since we're in church, and a lot of you, I know many of you, have kind of grown up in church. I grew up in church. We, we can have a fuzzy idea of what the kingdom of God is. I have talked about this before, but it's worth um, kind of rehashing. Uh, years ago, maybe nine years ago, I was talking with my senior pastor at the time, and I was uh, using the phrase the kingdom like a filler word, you know, just... I just kept saying, yeah, the kingdom, and the, you know, I just was, whatever, I don't know, remember what we're talking about, but I just kept using this phrase, you know, the kingdom. Like nowadays, especially around heavily reformed people, they use the phrase the gospel for like everything. You know, it's just like this big phrase that's really important, but we're not really sure what you mean when you say it because you've said it so much. And so I was saying this, you know what I'm talking about. I was saying this with the kingdom, and my pastor like lovingly interrupted me and said, Drew, what, what do you mean when you say the kingdom. And I was like, uh, uh, now I'm like a, a licensed pastor at this point. Like I, I should know. I, I, I've, uh, I could marry and bury, you know, I've done weddings and yet I, I could not give this like explicit definition of what the kingdom of heaven was. And I kind of fumbled around and then I said, uh, um, uh, the church, the kingdom is the church. And I had done it. I had confused the church with God's kingdom, which is, they're not the same thing. And how I would articulate it is like this. Um, the church, or you know, God's collective people like us, is an agent of the kingdom. The church is a witness to and for the kingdom. The church is an ambassador of the kingdom, but the church is not the same thing as the kingdom. I, it took me like, you know, 20-something years to figure this out. Just real quickly, in Hebrews, 
it says, we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Now, if you've ever been around church and you change the color of the carpet, or you preach a minute too long, or you don't sing the right song, you know the church is shakable. So just our experience would say, the kingdom, if the kingdom is unshakable and Hebrews is correct, our experience with church is pretty shakable at times. Uh, we know they're not the same thing. And so it's very important that as we learn to pray, that we can draw a helpful distinction between who we are and what God's kingdom is. So I'm going to give you three definitions of the kingdom of heaven. This, that will help you pray, because every pastor has to have three points. So I've got three. The first, and this is the best, if I were uh, teaching children, I would just say, the kingdom is Jesus. Straight up. And this isn't your uh, cute Sunday school answer, like when you don't know what to say. If they ask a question and you're not sure 95% of the time if you guess Jesus, that's the right answer. That's not what we're doing here. Like this is a legit answer um, because Jesus is the kingdom of heaven personified. Jesus is the kingdom in heaven walking around in sandals. Wherever Jesus went, the kingdom went. Now we're in San Antonio and we like tacos. How... I apologize to the vegans for this illustration. But we have, you know, carne asada, right? Carne, what does carne mean? Meat, right? And we have this $15 theological word in the Bible and in theology called the incarnation, when heaven came to earth, when God became man, when God put human meat on. That's why it's called the incarnation, because of carne, meat, right? Every time you... Eat tacos now, you will think of the goodness of the gospel and how God put meat on, or tofu if you're vegan. I don't know. You, you can figure that one out. But what I love about this definition of when we pray your kingdom come, we're just saying, Jesus, would you come and do your thing? Wherever Jesus went in sandals, the kingdom of heaven went. For example, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is traveling by water and he arrives in this um, little village, and there was a man who was demon-possessed, and he was naked, and he was living in the, in the graveyard, and he was terrorizing people, and he was demon-possessed by this whole like crew of demons. And Jesus comes in, and he, uh, the kingdom of heaven meets the kingdom of hell. And if you know the story, he cast out this legion of demons into this herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs run off the cliff and, and die. That is an example of the kingdom of heaven moving against the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven winning. Jesus makes friends with a prostitute and she then comes to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair and worships him. That's the kingdom of heaven moving. When Jesus comes upon the hungry, the kingdom of heaven multiplies a happy meal to feed thousands. When Jesus meets someone who is blind, the kingdom of heaven meets blindness and it restores sight. When Jesus meets someone who's lame, the kingdom of heaven meets the lame person. And at the end of that run-in, they dance and run and walk away. When Jesus meets lepers, the kingdom of heaven invades that situation. And what's crazy is that for everybody else, if you are clean and you touch an unclean thing, the clean thing becomes unclean. But when the kingdom of heaven comes and touches an unclean thing, the unclean thing becomes clean. 
Jesus touched the leper, and instead of the, the uncleanliness of the leper rubbing off on Jesus, the cleanliness of Jesus rubbed off on the leper, and they became clean, right? That's an example of Jesus embodying the kingdom of heaven and just coming into any situation and reversing the effects of sin. So when we say, what's the kingdom of heaven? You could legitimately say, Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's push it a little bit further. If you want a more academic definition of the kingdom of heaven to help you when you pray, we would say the kingdom is the rule and reign of God. The kingdom, as one other person said, is the sovereign sway of God. That God, God kind of gets what he wants. He can just sovereignly kind of push his weight around in a loving way. Now, even by saying that, there might be, because we've seen so many um, abusive forms of leadership, there's this like, wait a minute, is that right? But Jesus doesn't rule his kingdom by tyranny. He says he's the suffering servant. He's the good shepherd. He's the prince of peace. He's not a dictator. He's a deacon, a servant, one who helps. We've never known a leader like him. Jesus himself said he didn't come to be served. He said he came to serve. And this is the sovereign sway of God. This is the rule and reign of God, that when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're saying, Jesus, would you come and help and serve and bring your peace and lead us into green pastures? This is what we're praying. Third definition I'll give you. This is one of my favorites as well. It comes straight from Romans. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. So if you're baking a cake and you want the cake to be the kingdom of heaven, the four ingredients you need to pull off the shelf, this is how I understand things, is you need righteousness, you need peace, you need joy, and you need the Holy Spirit. And that's how you get the kingdom of heaven. Here's a, here's a great example of how the kingdom of heaven is peace. Uh, Jesus had these 12 disciples. And, and he made peaceful relationships with people who should have been archenemies. There was Matthew, the tax collector, who was a traitor and a representative of the foreign government. And then you had, you had Simon the Zealot, who was basically like a, a, an insurrectionist, almost a borderline terrorist, and wanted to go against the government at all costs violently. And Jesus called both Simon the Zealot and Matthew, the tax collector, to be his disciples, and they did. Jesus, his kingdom has a way of making peace. It'd be like Jesus having the ability to make Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump good friends, but times that by like 20. When you look at the makeup of all the disciples and you know their histories and the cultural, like, wait, you guys shouldn't get along But because of the kingdom of heaven, peace can come in and overrule some things. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, or in Spanish, venga tu reino, we're asking for God's power. We're asking for his sovereign sway. We're asking for his help. We're asking for his peace. We're asking for his joy. We're asking for his prince of peace leadership to come into any situation and to reverse the effects of sin, reverse the effects of the fall, reverse the effects of of sinful human beings. This was not what the village in Luke 8 prayed. If you read Luke 8, and if you know what happens after the herd of pigs goes off the cliff, the village comes out, 
and they say, Jesus, get out of here. Because their prayer was not your kingdom come or your will be done. Their prayer was, we would like our economy to be up and to the right. And you just affected, because they're agrarian, and a whole herd of pigs just went off the cliff. You just affected our economy and our livelihood. And so the prayer of this village in Luke 8 was, our economy come, our prosperity come. And what's crazy is Jesus leaves. It's really incredible that the kingdom of heaven can have such a powerful impact. There can be a graceful, sovereign sway of the rule and reign of God, and yet if a people says, we don't want you, he gets in the boat and goes away which is not what I would do if I had the power to cast out demons. <laughs> but that's why he's the Lord and I'm not. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is kind of that whole um, when a violin is tuned to a piano and you strike the note on the piano and the violin starts to re- reverberate. A lot of times, prayer is us getting in and saying, Lord, would you align my will with yours? And this is kind of the heart of this prayer. We might say things like, um, Lord, give me a heart that wants to do your will. Listen, there's a lot of times I don't want to do God's will because it's hard and it's painful and it requires me to die to myself. And I have to say, Lord, help me want to want what you want. Uh, You might need to say, I surrender my agenda and my will. A lot of times we, um, every Sunday we pray for a good 20 or 30 minutes before service. And one of the first things we do is we say, Lord, we surrender our agenda, we surrender our plan, we surrender our preferences. We just surrender all this stuff because we don't want to bring our will or our agenda into ministry. We might say, you know, instead of saying your will be done, you might say make all things right that are broken. Reverse the effects of sin. Or my favorite, bring it on. Lord, bring your grace on. Bring your help. Bring your leadership. And we should start this prayer right here. Before we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, in the community, which needs prayer, or in the nation, which needs prayer, or in a situation, we should first start right here. Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done right here in my heart. Start with me. Change me. Align me to your will and your purposes. So I'd like to, uh, let's turn this and look a little little practical. If, talking about the kingdom of heaven in prayer, and if we remember, you and I, the church of Jesus, we are agents of the kingdom of heaven. We are witnesses to and for the kingdom of heaven. We are ambassadors and representatives of his kingdom what would it look like for us as a people, for you individually, for us collectively, to live out of this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done? I want to give a, a, like a really cool story that, um, you know, we get to hear all these cool stories from, from our ministry here. And often, like, I take them in and go, yay, God, and then, like, you never get to hear them. And so when we first moved into this place at the beginning of the year, uh, in fact, I think it was in November, the first time we ever gathered in here to pray, we said, Lord, we want this to be, and we know it's a church, okay? We're not like trying not to be a church. But more than that, 
What we want our church to function as is as an embassy of the kingdom of heaven so that no matter what's going on in your life, you could come here on a Sunday morning and you could encounter the Prince of Peace, that you could encounter joy, that you would feel and receive more of his Holy Spirit, that you would find the righteousness of Christ, right? That you would meet Jesus in sandals, right? And so more than this trying to be like a steeple with a cross and like a church, more than that, our prayer is that this would be like an outpost of the kingdom of heaven, that no matter what you're going through, you can come here and have just a deep exhale and let all that stuff out and breathe all of God in, right? All right, so um, with everything we do, that's kind of the, the, the grid. Um, even in our kids' ministry, um, that's the grid. So, you know, we encourage people, if you're holding a baby, that you're not just holding a baby. Hold the baby and pray the kingdom of heaven over that baby. You're holding the baby, you're allowing a tired mommy and daddy to come and sit and hear the message of the kingdom of heaven and experience the Holy Spirit. You know, everything we do is under this grid of bringing the kingdom of heaven to people. So we do a practice here called the passing of the peace. Now, if you have like another denominational background, you know, a lot of times, like the church I grew up in, we didn't have a passing of the peace. We had the mingle, which was like after worship, go say hi to a few people and then sit down. And usually it's like, it's like a transition. That's all it is. It's like, yeah, we got to put the instruments up, say hi, and sit down. In our tradition, we call it the passing of the peace because after that moment of confession, there's this peace with God the Father vertically. And sometimes you come to church, you come to the outpost of the kingdom of heaven, and you don't have peace. And it would be very helpful for a brother or a sister to look you in the eyes and say, I desire for the peace of the risen Lord to be upon you. And that's way different than saying, hi, how you doing? I'm fine, which is a lie. And you sit down, right? You know know what fine stands for? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, emotional, right? That's what fine stands for. Name name another movie. There you go, buddy. So, um, yeah, thank you. Right? So passing of the peace, that's like a spiritual discipline. And in case you've been like defaulting to mingle, next time we do it, go to someone and say, may the peace of our Lord be with you. Look them in the eyes and mean it. And that's very different, right? So there's, there's this passing of the peace. Okay. So we, when we do that, the kids have kind of already left. So I think it was Becca's idea. They started doing this in some of the kids' rooms. And there was um, a a little girl, I think she's like two, two and a half or three in that range, toddler, and she was in the new class. I think it was her, she's only been in there twice, okay? And how they do passing of the peace, I think they have a ball, and they, pat, they, they like pass the peace ball. So it's kind of how they kind of pass the peace to another with the ball, right? Pretty cool. Well, um, so recently, her mom told me that after the, after the second week of being up there, later that week, she's at home playing with her, and mom's going through like the ringer, just like tough time. 
trying to keep it together, really stressed, really anxious, doesn't have peace at all. And they're playing. And they're playing with Play-Doh. And she makes a little ball, and she hands the ball to a little girl. And after two times up there, her little two-year-old girl takes the ball and gives it to her and says, may the peace of the Lord be with you. And this mom is like, what? Gives her the ball back. Says, do it again. (laughs) And so the little girl says, may the peace of the Lord be with you. And she takes the ball and she gives it back. She says, do it again. (laughs) And there was this moment of the kingdom of peace breaking in to this apartment where there wasn't peace because a little girl was taught how to give peace in this place where we're trying to give peace. So you see how when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, it has all kinds of ways of working out in some very cool and creative ways that we never foresaw And I just thought that was an incredible example of um, just the kingdom of heaven breaking into this place, our kids' ministry, and then like, she went into that class twice. That's amazing. And she's like two. Pretty cool. Uh, Eleven years ago, I was praying through how um, the Lord had called us to come down here to start this church. And I really struggled with that call. Um, for a season, I acted like Jonah, and I went the opposite way. I was like, I, I've planted a church before. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of people and a lot of money, and I ended up in a counselor's office, and it's, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to just create another machine. And a friend of mine invited me to a conference in Austin, and I was journaling through, Lord how is it even possible to have a church that really does seek first your kingdom before our agenda or program? And I really didn't know what that looked like because I'd grown up in churches my whole life and I'd always seen the eventual, it becomes a machine and it becomes about keeping the status quo and eventually people get hurt. And I I just had experienced that my entire life and I didn't want to create another one of those. And so I was asking the Lord the, this question of how, like, how, how can we help people do this? And I um, saw this video uh, of a widow in the Czech Republic. And it had an profound mark on me. And I sat in this auditorium in Austin, and I wept like a baby. I've showed this video, I think, three or four times here. And every time I show it, I cry. I pulled it up this week to look at it, and I cried So I'm going to sit down and grab some Kleenex. And if you don't cry, there's probably something wrong with you. So just prepare yourself to cry. I'm kidding. There's nothing wrong with you. I just, this this hits me deep, right? I want to show you this. It's about five minutes long. And it's just, it's, um, it's so inspiring. But it's also so practical. Of everybody can do what Ludmilla does which is just pray for the kingdom of heaven to come. So grab a tissue, sit back, and let's hit this.
In my lifetime, I have experienced the rule of two totalitarian regimes. One was the German Nazis, and the second was the Russian Communists. The Word of God says 366 times, do not be afraid, do not fear. So we weren't afraid. After 40 years of communism here, the fact that many believers left the country, the Czech Republic has been called the most atheist place in Europe. It breaks my heart. My name is Ludmila Harerova. I'm 82 years old. I have seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. My husband went to heaven in 2002. The Lord Jesus told me, now he is my husband, and he wants to continue to use me. He wants me to be his representative, his ambassador. Next to the door of my house, there is a bronze sign that says, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. My home is an extension of Christ's kingdom. It's a place where people can come and look for help if they're in trouble or have a need. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the atmosphere I want here at the embassy. The visitors that I get, some of them have called ahead to let me know they're coming, and some just come. The ones that haven't called are usually the best ones because I'm not prepared for them. Everything that happens is dependent on the Lord. Today, a dear friend came by. She's a widow, and her family really are struggling financially. Whenever people enter this house, I just lay everything else aside and spend time with them. I have learned to recognize the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and give Him room to use me. The Holy Spirit likes to take control. Often I listen to myself and I'll say things I wouldn't even think about. There is no problem to deal with the issues that people bring when they come here because the Holy Spirit is here. It's an honor for me to be an instrument of God's love and His wisdom every day. Thank you.
We often don't realize that all believers are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are all ambassadors. The Lord Jesus didn't choose to do it any other way. He simply entrusted us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he was uh, praying in a garden. And he asked his disciples to pray with him, and they fell asleep. He's by himself, and we believe at this moment the, um, the weight of the sin of the world is weighing heavily on him, and he is in such distress that the scriptures say that he begins to sweat um, drops of blood, which um, medically we know only happens when you're under the most extreme pressure. And even though Jesus said, you know, pray to your father in secret, um, we are blessed to have some of his prayers recorded in places like, uh, like John, towards the end of John in 17, and and he, and, uh, here in, in Matthew 26, we, we get some of the prayer that Jesus was praying in Gethsemane. And he asked the Father if there's another way to do it. And he says, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But, not my will, your will be done. And what the enemy meant for evil and what the religious leaders and teachers meant for evil by crucifying an innocent man. God's kingdom had a way of turning it around for good because the man, Jesus, the, the incarnation said, your will be done. So I wonder um, this week, What's going on in your life that needs that type of prayer? I think we could all pick at least one situation where we need to say, God, we need your sovereign sway. We need your leadership. We need your peaceful reign. We need your realm of grace. We need you to come, you know, and turn it around. And not even how I want it. Not my will, but your will. As we close, I want to encourage you to, to um, chew on that question. The second, which is super practical for all of us, is, um, is there a way you could view your home to be an embassy of the kingdom of heaven? And is perhaps there's somebody in your life that might need to come and be refreshed or be prayed for. Maybe it's in your cubicle. How can you, if you've you got a cubicle, how can that cubicle be a cubicle of the kingdom of heaven? 
Or if you're at a coffee shop, how can you let that five square feet you occupy be five square feet of the kingdom of heaven in that coffee shop? You know, Ludmilla is an 80-year-old widow in the most atheist country in the world. And God's using her. I wonder how he might use us individually and as a church in this area. This is one of my favorite prayers in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Jesus, we, we just ask for more of you. That's our prayer this morning. We pray your kingdom come. We pray for your will to be done. God, I ask for your help for us as a church. I simply ask that you would help us to think Help us to stop thinking like Americans. And help us to start thinking like citizens of the kingdom of heaven in America. God, we invite you to show us, reveal to us all the ways that we might put America first, or our company first, or even our family first. Would we know what we need to do is to put your kingdom of heaven first. Peace, joy, righteousness, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you thanks for the, the story of the, the, the Plato passing of the peace. And God, we just say more. Give us more of that type of stuff. Lord, we don't want to play church here. We don't want to do church here. We want to seek first your kingdom. We want to bring the kingdom of heaven. We want to share the availability of the kingdom of peace to people who are hurting. God, I ask you'd help us to do that. Increase our capacities for that. Increase the vision for that. Increase the provision for that. Or show us how to be ambassadors and agents who pray and who bring the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. But I pray for those uh, who may be here or listening who are living outside of your kingdom. They're living outside of your rule and your reign. God, I ask that you would draw a circle around them and invade them with your presence and with your love and with your kindness and your mercy. And I ask, God, that you would overwhelm their hearts with the reality of the kingdom of heaven and that you would purge from them any stronghold of the kingdom of darkness. Make new the things that are old. 
We thank you for being here.